Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being with us. It's an honor to have you. If you would be open your Bibles to Acts the 7th chapter. Acts the 7th chapter, and if you have a pew Bible, it's on 971. Uh, most of the passages that we'll be reading tonight will not be on the screen. The references will be, so if you have a Bible, uh, many of them will be coming out of Acts. I encourage you to take your Bible. Several are going at least once a month to the simulcast on Sunday morning worship services and each that are doing that. We thank you very much. That works uh, to our advantage as we try to reach out to the community about us as individuals, especially visitors, oftentimes come just before service starts. We're trying to make sure that they have a place to set together as a family. So those of you that are participating in that, we thank you so much. And we hope that others of you maybe that are not, that you would consider doing that. And this morning, for all of you that were in there, which was a good group, a good number in there this morning, you know that there were a few sound problems. About three or four times, uh, the sound would go out for 15 seconds. And that was a problem with a piece of equipment that uh, the new piece has already been ordered today. It should be in Monday and should be placed this week. And we appreciate uh, Kevin Cantrell and, and Jamie Harper and so many others that work so hard to keep everything in that area running just the best that it can run. And we understand uh, that anytime we're dealing with equipment that there can be failures of that and we appreciate their efforts and energy to approach those uh, with, with such dedication and determination. And so that problem hopefully will be solved uh, just immediately. We are thankful for our widows and the great luncheon that they had today and the widows having them over uh, to their house. We're thankful for our young people and the foundation program. We're thankful for Doug, all that he does with that, and so many of our young people that are participating in that and striving to grow and be what God wants you to be. And let's make sure that we all do that, that we all give our life in God's service. When we think about Old Testament characters, I'd like for you to think about who do you think God would say was probably one of the greatest Old Testament characters? Oh, I don't know how you answer that, but I have to tell you this. If God said, I believe Moses was the most important Old Testament character, I wouldn't be surprised. How can you place a value upon a man that not only was a man that the Holy Scripture reveals that he was a prophet likened to Jesus Christ? Think of that compliment that he also was a lawgiver likened to Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus was a much greater lawgiver, the book of Hebrews tells us, but still there's that parallel that under the Old Testament, he was the lawgiver just as under the New Covenant, Jesus Christ was the lawgiver. And when we think about a man that we see so much in the Scriptures about this man, and yes, we do see a few mistakes that this man makes, but still, the good that he does and the faith that he exemplifies and the perseverance that he has, as we see the 120 years of his life recorded, we have to stand back and admit and be glad to say that he was a faithful follower of God that led the people of that day and made a tremendous impact upon many generations to come. Back a week ago, I was on family vacation with my sister and, and her family and my mom and dad out for a little while for a few days and it was a great experience. And I was back in a house again under the roof with children that were four and two years old. It's been a while since I've run with kids on a daily basis that were four and two years old. And my sister said, 
you have seen Finding Nemo, haven't you? And I said, "Uh, no. She said, you haven't seen it? Well, just sit down right there. And here the girls gathered around, and we sat down, and we watched Finding Nemo. And many of you kids know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's a beautiful little story where one of the little clownfish named Nemo is scooped up by a scuba diver, and his father, that is first, is very reluctant to explore the ocean, spends the rest of the movie very bravely with a friend, Dora, exploring the ocean, going to find Nemo. Going to find Nemo. Now, we find Nemo in the movie in a dental office, in an aquarium in a dental office, and it's a cute movie. But as I thought about finding Nemo, I thought also about when I studied recently Moses. It's amazing all the places you can find Moses. It's amazing what we learn about his life when we just stop and say, where do you find Moses? Although the word basket is not used here in Acts the 7th chapter, look with me, if you will, in verse 19. And what is being done here is Stephen is leading up the Israelites' history. And as he does this, in verse 19, he deals with the fact that after Joseph died, the children of Israel were taken into captivity by the Egyptians because they were growing more in number than the Egyptians and they were growing more mighty than the Egyptians. And so the idea was, let's bring them under slavery and let's beat them down so that they cannot be a strong nation. We'll literally work them to death was the idea. And so that didn't work very well. And finally, Pharaoh said, I tell you what we're going to have to do. We're just going to have to start taking the lives of the little boys. So every time a male child is born, that child is to be put to death. And now we read this in verse 19. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Moses was born during that period of time. When we read back in the scriptures, Exodus, the second chapter, we see that his mother and father hid him for three months. And when they could no longer hide him, they created a basket and hid him then in the river so that he could be found. Have you ever noticed what is said about this occasion in Hebrews, the 11th chapter? And we're going to come right back here to to Acts, the 7th chapter, if you want to hold your finger there. But I'd like to read for you a passage or two as we look in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Look with me, if you will, in verse 23. Can you as parents, do we have this much faith in God? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. King's ordinance is that all the male children that are born should be put to death. These two have enough faith in God that when they give birth to a male son, they are not afraid of the king's command. And the scriptures tells us why they were not afraid. It says by faith when Moses was born that they were not afraid. I've heard people say today, you know, I just don't know if I'm going to have children because the world is so wicked. I just don't know if it's possible to raise a child today and that the child turn out all right. Moses' parents had faith. They believed that God could do what they themselves could not do. As parents, we need to stop and examine ourselves and are we raising our children by our own standards and by our own ways or do we really believe by faith that God's way will work? Oh, I'm afraid if I do it God's way, my child won't be popular. 
I'm afraid if I do it God's way that my child won't be accepted among their peers. I'm afraid if I do it God's way, people will think my child is an outcast. That's ridiculous. Do we really believe as Christians that God's way isn't best? And so instead of being parents by faith, we're faithless parents if that is what our thoughts are. Moses' parents are such a wonderful example for us of parents of faith that believed that God could do what probably they themselves could not understand how it could be done. Also, we find Moses not only in a basket, but we find him later in Pharaoh's palace. If we were looking back at Exodus, the second chapter, it'd be verse 5 through 10 that this is recorded. But let's look at the recap in Acts, the seventh chapter. Look with me, if you will, 20, 21, and 22. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned, and by the way, these details right here are more details than even what we have back in Exodus. Notice how Moses grew up. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and in deed. We see that this Hebrew child was now taken under the care of Pharaoh's daughter, but he grew up in Pharaoh's house just as a son or here a grandson of Pharaoh. He had the education that a son of Pharaoh would have, would have had. He had the training that a, a son of Pharaoh would have had. He had all of the gifts, no doubt, that a Pharaoh's son would have. His life was so different from what it would have been as a Hebrew child. But you know, his mother must have planted some seeds in his mind that he would have never forgotten because you see, not only in the scriptures do we find Moses in Pharaoh's palace. And before we go any further right here, I need to stop and ask myself, if this was a story about me, would it end right there? Oh, yeah. I got in Pharaoh's palace, and I love the high life. I love the luxury. I realized that I could have power, prestige, and popularity. What more could you want in life? And that's where I died in Pharaoh's palace. No, he remembered apparently what his mother had taught him. You're a child of God. You're a Hebrew son. And it was in that that we find the next place. We find him, Moses and Midian. You see, back in the second chapter of Exodus 11 through 25, we'd read the story. Let's read the recap here, and it's a few verses. Let's read 23 through 29. And as you'll notice, when Stephen is recapping the events of Moses' life, he places them in 40-year segments. So you see, we're about to read here in 23, and he says, now when he was 40 years old, you see the first 40 years he spent in Pharaoh's palace. And now we're about to read what Stephen would inform us to let us know. Now we're about to read about the next 40 years, and we'll come up on that in just a few minutes when we read verse 30. So here's what happened after 40 years. Now verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. You see, now that's something that we don't learn back in the story of Exodus either. You see, at this point, 40 years old, he thought the people would follow him and that they would understand that he was going to be a deliverer of them. 
But we read in 26, the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at that saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. You see, the details that are omitted there is that he did have a wife and two sons there. And there he began to live the life of a shepherd. You remember back recently we studied about Joseph? And that was a rags-to-riches story. That was a pit-to-a-palace story. Moses does something much harder in life. And if you stop and think about it, I believe you'll agree with me. It's much easier, I would think, to go from rags-to-riches than it is to go from the riches to the rags. It's probably much harder in life to go from the luxury of a palace to going to being one that lives in the wilderness with sheep. But you know what we find Moses doing is we find him still making himself available for God's service no matter how his life unfolded. Friends, as I study these Old Testament characters, I cannot help but see how important it is not how each day unfolds to our liking, but that we make sure that we are available to God and that we're faithful to God no matter how the day unfolds. Moses, probably at the time that he was back caring for sheep, had no idea what the last 40 years of his life would be about. But he lived for God for those 40 years. He made himself available to God. And from that, we see or we find Moses at another place, a place we all have heard about probably. We find him next at a burning bush. Let's read now in the 30th verse, still in Acts the 7th chapter. And when 40 years had passed, you see, he cared for those sheep for 40 years. When they had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. That shows the reverence, the respect, the awe that Moses had for God. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groanings, and I have come down to deliver them, and now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He was available. We see the great respect and, and awe that he had for God as, as he refused to look upon God seeing this. I ask you to put that in the comparison today of the disrespect that so many have for God today. You see, Moses, if I'm understanding this text right, when he thought that he was in the presence of God, he didn't think that he had the right to look at God, that he wasn't worthy. When we see in the Scriptures how God's name ought to be held highly, and God commands that it not be used in vain, 
Think of the difference of individuals that would blaspheme the name of God, but yet here is a man that's making his life available to God, and he's proving it by the great respect that he had. Could you imagine a guy like that using God's name in vain? I can't, and I doubt it happened. And so it is when we find him by the burning bush. We find him at the burning bush because God has a door of opportunity that he's opening. What do you do when God opens a door of opportunity? Well, preacher, I'd like to walk through it, but I don't know what a door of opportunity looks like. Your ability plus an opportunity equals your responsibility. That's how we know what open doors are. When we have an ability and an opportunity, that's a door that God is opening, saying, I have prepared you, and now I've given you the opportunity. How could Moses have known that God was spending 40 years allowing him to lead sheep around a wilderness? Now, does that ring a bell? Because what's he going to do for the next 40 years? He's going to lead people's sheep around the wilderness for the next 40 years. God was preparing him. Moses could not have understood at that time how God was preparing him, but yet he was. And so he gave him the ability. He gave him the training. And then he comes with the attention of the burning bush, and he says, I have a door now open. And you know, Moses, even though at first he was a little bit reluctant, he stepped through that door. And so the next place that we'll find Moses is we'll find him before Pharaoh. Look with me, if you will, and we'll see this in just one verse here in Stephen's recapping of the events. Look at verse 36. It says, He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. You see, that's our three sets of 40 there that Stephen has referred to. So just a little bit of insight here. He doesn't give us much details, but he says, how did he stand before Pharaoh? He stood before Pharaoh with signs and wonders. You remember Aaron could throw down his rod and, and a serpent would come out? And the magicians for Pharaoh could throw down their rod and it came out, but yet theirs swallowed theirs, showing power. And you remember the ten plagues, the powerful wonders and signs that Moses could introduce to them and could warn them of, and God would send them. And of course, that last one, the curse of death upon the firstborn. And then as they finally escaped, you remember standing by the sea? They appeared to be trapped. But yet Moses, working with the power of God, was able to part the waters. Amazing stories. I wonder if Moses, those years that he was back in with the sheep, for those 40 years, had any idea what God had in store for him. I believe with all of my heart that if you and I will make ourselves available to God, that later on in our life we'll be able to look back and say, you know, 10 years ago, I had no idea of all the things that God had in store for us. I believe with all of my heart that just as God works in the lives of individuals, now please listen to this, just as God works in the lives of individuals, I think God works in the lives of congregations. Just as individuals have personalities and they have talents and abilities, 
If you'll notice, congregations also have personalities and they also have talents and abilities. And just as God blesses those that are cheerful givers, giving them more to do more, I believe the same principle is true for congregations. That is, congregations give their money and they give their heart and they give a passionate desire to do God's will. I believe that God opens bigger doors and allows that congregation to do even more. I don't have any idea what God has planned for the Mount Juliet congregation, but I believe that if we continue to make ourselves available and walk through the doors that God opens, that we'll be able to look back a decade or two from now and say, we had no idea. We had no idea the way God was going to help us to touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But friends, it can't happen unless we find ourselves faithful find ourselves making ourselves available. You see, Moses had no way to know all the places he would find himself, but God used him. He remained a tool in God's hands. Another place, of course, we find him is on Mount Sinai. Look with me, if you will, verse 37 through 39. Let's look at 37 through 39, still here in Acts 7. This is why Moses, who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren whom you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation and in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on the Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. You see there, not only it shows where Moses was, he was on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, receiving the Ten Commandments that God etched with his own finger in stone. But also it tells us about him coming down. It doesn't tell the details, but it's referred to there in that passage about him coming down, and he's presenting it to the people, and the people first say, we'll follow, but yet later when the golden calf is built, he realizes the people have already decided in their heart they're not going to be faithful to God. I need to realize that godly leadership is rarely easy. And that to be a godly leader does not mean that we will not have to deal with challenges and conflicts. But Moses is a good example of a man that in spite of all of that, he never stopped loving God, and it appears that he never stopped loving the people. A tremendous example. The great lawgiver Moses standing on Mount Sinai. But also, look with me if you will, 39 through 41, and let's see another place we find him, and that is in the wilderness. We've already referred to this tonight, but let's read verse 39 again. Whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Now this is not this exact occasion, but it's a prelude to it, okay? And let's look at verse 40. Saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, for this is Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. You see, he's still up in Mount Sinai. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices to the idols and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. You see, this is a prelude to the fact that something is wrong with these people's faith. Moses has only been gone 40 days, but what are they doing? They're wanting to go back to what they knew. What did they know? They knew the idolatrous worship of Egypt. That's what they'd been around. That's why, just as we spoke several Sunday mornings ago, and we talked about we have to be careful what we are surrounded 
what we surround ourselves with doctrinally because evil companions corrupt good morals? Here's a fine example of it. The Egyptians had been surrounded by idolatry, and yet they'd seen the wonders of God. If you saw the ten plagues, would you doubt God? If you saw the waters parted, and you'd gone through those waters and looked back and watched your enemy destroyed, would you doubt God? It is amazing to me that in just a few, in a short time, these people are able to forget God and go back to their idols after all the things that they'd seen. But you know what? Evil companions had already corrupted their belief system. And so now, they will eventually make their way to the edge of Canaan. They'll send out the 12 spies. Ten will come back with a wicked report, and that's all these people need. They just wanted to hear a reason to doubt God. Friends, tonight, this is something that we each, we can only do it for ourselves. You can't search someone else's soul. You have to search your own. I beg you tonight, search your soul and come to a conclusion. Am I looking for reasons to doubt God? Or do I believe in God? no matter what. Well, I take my stand with God no matter what. No matter who in my family does not take their stand with God, I'll take my stand with God. No matter what peers do not take their stand with God, I'll take my stand with God. No matter what losses occur in my life, I'm going to take my stand with God. No matter what challenges and mountains that I have to climb, I'm going to take my stand with God. The children of Israel never made up their mind to take their stand with God. What we see is example after example where it appears they were just looking for reasons to doubt God. But yet they had a mighty and powerful leader before them. But they just could not make it on his faith. Young people hear that. Adults, let's hear that. We can't make it on someone else's faith. We can have an awesome eldership that's faithful. We can't make it on their faith. Individually, we have to decide where we will stand. I can't make it on my parents' faith. Have you ever noticed God has no grandchildren? God has children. Those that have first-hand faith. So it is. Moses exemplified it, but they didn't follow it. Let's look at a final one that we will spend a little bit of time on, and then we're just going to mention two or three just in bullet points. The next place we find Moses is in Jeremiah, the 15th chapter. That didn't really go as a parallel to this lesson, did it? Everywhere else had been locations. But we just got to look at this. When I was studying Moses this, this past week, and I saw this, I couldn't help but think, that has to be one of the greatest compliments God has ever given to an individual. Here's what we read in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet that was sent to save Jerusalem. Jerusalem was already damaged, but they were about to be completely destroyed from Babylon. And so Jeremiah was sent in there as kind of a last hope to try to be the prophet that would redeem Jerusalem. And now God is ready at this point to give up on them completely. And notice what he says in Jeremiah the 15th chapter and verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, 
my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. That just strikes me as awesome. Out of all the ways God could have answered this, out of all the ways God could have, He could have just said, hey, no, I'm fed up with the people. They've showed their lack of faith. I am not tolerating it anymore. I've suffered long with them. Let them be destroyed. He could have said it that way. But he goes back hundreds of years and he remembers the leader that always stood up for the people. If this interests you, make yourself a note and read Exodus 32. Exodus 32 was after the golden calf. God wanted to destroy the people. And Moses stands before God and he makes a passionate plea. He reminds God, if you destroy the people, look what all the enemies are going to say, that you just brought them out of Egypt just to destroy them and to kill them out here. Look how that's going to make you appear, God. And remember the promise that you made to Abraham. You can't go back on that promise. Oh, Moses was passionate about the people. He was passionate about the people drawing closer to God. And finally, in the 32nd verse of that same chapter, he says, if they're not going to be saved, take my name out of the book of life. Remember I told you a while ago, Moses loved the people. If you're a leader this evening, I want you to hear those words. Great leaders don't love leadership. They love people. Great leaders don't love leadership. They love people. And godly leaders love God and people in that order. And Moses loved God. Remember it when he pled, I just want to see your glory. He loved God. He wanted to be in the presence of God. He realized what an awesome gift it was to see God. But he also loved the people. Let's mention these closing points as bullets. Another place you'll find Moses is you'll find him in the mountain of transfiguration. Isn't it amazing at the time that Jesus was going to be glorified, Elijah and Moses were there. Also, you'll find him in the passage that we've been working from tonight in Acts the 7th chapter. You'll find him as a very important character in Stephen's sermon before he would die. Also, you'll find Moses from a passage that we've just referred to a few minutes ago, and that is you'll find him in the great hall of faith, Hebrews the 11th chapter. But you know what? There's two places you won't find Moses. You won't find him in the promised land that was on this earth. If you haven't read the story in Numbers, the 20th chapter, it'll do you well to recognize how serious God is about obedience. There the people had complained for water. Moses loved the people. He went on behalf of the people and asked God what to do. God had told him on another occasion to smite the rock with his rod and he'd bring forth water for the people. This time God told him, speak to the rock and I'll bring forth water. Moses was a little bit aggravated, apparently. And he stands before the people and he says, must I bring forth water for you? And he takes his rod and he smites the rock as he did previously. But God didn't command that this time. God went ahead and brought forth the water for the people. But then he told him after that, your punishment for disobeying will be that you will not be allowed to go into the promised land. 
the man that had been prepared for this mission by growing up in Pharaoh's palace for 40 years, the man that used the next 40 years of being prepared for this mission by being a shepherd in a wilderness, and now a man that has wandered around the wilderness leading these people for about 40 years is not allowed to receive that promised land because of disobedience. When they neared the place, God called him up into a mountain called Mount Nebo. Told him, I want you to be able to look over into the land. And he saw the beautiful land that God was going to give the people. And then, the next place we will not find Moses is we will not find his burial plot. The scripture says there, even though he was full of life and very strong, he died. God buried him. And no man knows where his burial is. I believe because of the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, we can rest assured that he's saved. I believe because of the mountain of transfiguration, we can rest assured that he's saved. But I need to recognize this. There still had to be a punishment for the wrong. Tonight, we just studied a tremendous character. You find him in a lot of places, but you find him available for God's service. Tonight, I'm so thankful that we can find each other here. You being here tonight says a lot about you and about your faith and about your commitment. But where will God find you this week? Whether you're at work or school or out with friends or in the community, will you always be available to God? Let's make sure that wherever we are, that we're God's servant that we're living a faithful life. If you've never been baptized into Christ, won't you do that tonight? Or if you have been baptized into Christ and you've strayed away, won't you come back and find yourself tonight right with God? Let's make sure that as we leave here tonight, we all have found God. One of the sermons in Acts tells us He's not far from any of us. If you feel far away from God, you just may be closer than what you think. And you can close that gap completely tonight. His invitation is open. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.